Well, thank you, worship team, for leading us uh, this morning and coming before God. Um, just before we get into uh, God's word, before we get into the message this morning, I wanted to take some time and just pray for us as we approach this time. And I wanted to take some time to pray for the families and communities affected by what happened in Maine this week. Um, it's just a horrible tragedy that um, I'm sure many of us are aware of. So I just wanted to take some time and pray as a church family for them. So would you just bow with me once more? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can be here today and that we can learn from your word and we can fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And yet, God, we know that though today is a good day for many of us, it is a, uh, a sad day for many more. Lord, I just want to lift up the families and communities um, in Maine today, uh, still reeling from what's conspired there over the past week. God, I just pray that you would comfort them in ways that we can only imagine, God. And we just cry out to you as our, as our Father as we continue to live in this, in this broken and sinful world. And we just cry out to Jesus for his help and his guidance. And God, even this morning as we come before your word, I would ask that you would guide my heart, guide my words. So Lord, that when we look back, we know that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth were pleasing in your sight, oh Lord. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So how does it feel when something goes according to plan? It feels great. Now, how does it feel when something doesn't go according to plan? Doesn't feel as great. How does it feel in those times where you look ahead, you make the plan, you begin to execute the plan, and then something happens, and you have to throw away the plan and start completely over? Doesn't feel great. You know, when I was 13 and I knew everything, I thought I had my life completely planned out. Okay. When I was 13, I thought I had my life planned out. I was getting ready to go to high school. I was going to go to the local high school in London where we lived. I had a couple buddies from our church that were going there. I was pumped. You know, my youth group was awesome. I was there every week, hanging out, playing games, being an idiot. And my family was getting along, I mean, for the most part, as you can when you have a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old. But we were all good. And that was my plan. I was going to go to high school. I was going to continue with my youth group. We we're going to live in our house forever, apparently. And then my parents sat me down and told me that my dad had found a church almost an hour away from where we lived, and he was hoping to be able to serve there as the lead pastor. And my mind went, so does that mean we have to move? He said, yeah, we'll be moving out there if it was to work out. And so I was like, well, it's okay. It's not guaranteed yet. So this Sunday, we're going to go out there. I'm going to preach. They're going to take a vote. We're going to have a Q&A time, and we'll know. So we pack up the van on Sunday. We drive an hour to church, go there, hear my dad preach. I'm looking around. I'm like, none of my friends are here. And we stay there for the day. We have the Q&A session at the end, and then they send us home. And we're in the car while the church is taking the vote. And my dad or my mom, probably my mom because my dad was driving, gets the call. The vote's gone through. It's almost unanimous. We want you guys to come here and be our pastor. And my parents are gracious, gracious enough to ask us, hey, do you guys want to do this? And so they ask my older sister, and she says yes. They ask my younger sister, and she says yes. And then they ask me, and I'm already outvoted, so it doesn't really matter, but I begrudgingly, I can remember sitting in the back seat and saying, yeah, okay. 
I can tell you right now, I, I really didn't want to because it completely messed up the plan that I had for my life. Don't you dread it when you make a plan for something as little as what you're going to do this afternoon and as big as the rest of your life and it just doesn't go according to what you thought. See, as a church, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And last week, we heard the message of Jesus through Peter. He walks into the temple and he heals a man who had been lame for decades. And he gives him the ability to walk and he takes the opportunity to point all eyes in the room to Jesus and says, this man's healing is really meant to point you to the restoration that Jesus is going to bring and only Jesus. And so initially, we might think the response is always, praise God, that is amazing. God is doing wonderful things. I want to get in on this. This is an amazing thing that we see. And over and over again in the work of Acts, we've seen the work of God and the way he changes the lives of people and he, the way he changes the world. And as a church, we have seen time and time again, even over this past year, the way that God is moving in wondrous ways at our church. We just launched an Awana program. Our students' ministry has almost doubled in size from last year. We had VBS coming this summer and we, we planted a church last year. And, and initially, I want to say all of us are like, Yes, I want to get in on this. I see the amazing things that God is doing, and I want in. But a little part of us might feel like our plan is going awry. Sometimes when we see and we really understand that Jesus is going to change everything, there's something in the back of our mind that might go, but doesn't that mean he's going to change the things I want? Doesn't that mean he's going to change the plans I have? It feels wrong for me to stand up here and say that we might be feeling that way. Because like, we don't want to feel that way. But I know I have, and, and I'm wondering if you have too at some point. Sometimes even after we've given our lives to Christ, there's still one little part that we want to hold on to rather than letting go. We can say, Jesus, I, I know I want to follow you. I know you're doing amazing things, but my plan fits in over here. I see the work that you're doing. My church life and my walk with you fits in over here, but th- like, this is still my plan and this is still the route I want to walk. I hear that you want me to join in, but here's my problem. I feel like the work of Jesus is going to ruin my plan for my life. If Jesus truly is life-changing, doesn't that mean he's going to change the plans I have? And I'll tell you right now, yes, Jesus changes everything. But even so, God understands that we might feel this way. He knows us intimately. And so today in our text, we're going to see a story of some people who felt very similar. They could hear the message of Jesus. They heard it. But they let their preconceived plans get in the way of joining in. We're going to see the comfort that God gives us when we feel this way and the call that he admonishes us with in response. So as we open up God's word, we're going to find ourselves in Acts 4. We're going to cover quite a lot, the first 22 verses. So if you have a Bible on your phone or you brought one with you, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Um, You can turn there. Acts 4, it's towards the back. And I'll just give you a quick reminder of what's gone down. Peter and John have just healed this man. They started preaching the gospel. And we focused on a lot of things last week. But we felt that this was the main thrust, that Jesus was the one who would restore all of creation. So in Acts 3, 19 through 21, Peter says this, Repent then and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. For heaven must receive him until the time that God comes to restore everything as he promised long ago 
to the prophets. So Peter looks at the people and he says, you need to follow after Jesus because he's going to be the one to restore Israel. Not only that, he is going to restore all of creation and he is just waiting in heaven until the time. And as Peter's preaching, literally in the middle of the sermon, watch what happens next in Acts 4, starting in verse 1. The priests and the temple and the uh, uh, temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were, te- were teaching the people, proclaiming in, G- in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. So literally, as Peter and John are preaching, a bunch of Jewish officials come here, they arrest them, and they throw them in prison. So the people mentioned here, like the Sadducees, they made up a large portion of the priesthood. And it's important to know that they really were the dominant force in ruling over Israel. They'd assumed control of the temple, and it was their job to uphold the Jewish tradition. And their plan was, we're going to do whatever we need to do to survive, and eventually, we're going to restore Israel. And what's so significant about the Sadducees is that they were willing to work and cooperate with Rome. But really, because Rome didn't care who was in charge, they just wanted to make sure they kept the peace. And so the Sadducees knew that if the apostles were teaching the people and this message of Jesus was really going to get widespread, the Romans would much rather have the majority on their side than the minority. So they knew that if the apostles gained too much traction, they were going to lose control. The plan that they had would go out the window. And so here we see the pushback. The temple priests hear the message of the gospel, that Jesus is going to come to restore everything. And when he came He died and God raised him from the dead. And it's through Jesus that everything is going to be restored. They hear that and immediately they go, whoa, 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 that is not the plan. We're going to be the ones to teach the people. We're going to be the ones to uphold the Jewish tradition. And teaching in the temple courts isn't what you were supposed to do. Verse 2 says the Sadducees were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. See, one of the core ways that the Sadducees taught was there was no such thing as a resurrection of the dead. That's what separates them from a lot of other Jewish sections of the time. And so they believed there was no resurrection of the dead. So here, to see the apostles preaching something so drastic as not only is it possible for God to raise the dead, he's already done it and he's done it through Jesus. That wasn't just going to knock them down a couple pegs. That was going to uproot everything that they had planned. And so, you know, I never like to think of myself as the bad guy in the story. When I was a kid, I didn't really run around pretending to be Lex Luthor. I flew around as Superman. But sometimes, I can feel like this. I can see the work that God's doing, and I can resist the pull of God because it means giving up the control that I have. It means letting go of that last little piece. See, if God really has a plan over everything. It means he has a plan over my family. It means he has a plan over my career. It means he has a plan over my retirement. It means I I really have to give up everything. And so when I look at it that way and say, if I really want to join in the work of Jesus, I I gotta give up everything. And I gotta trust that he's in control of it all. I start to empathize with the Sadducees. The guys I were always told was the bad guys. I start to think, maybe I'm a little bit more like them than I thought. And so the Sadducees throw Peter and John in jail. But it doesn't stop the fact that hundreds of people came to know Jesus through them. Verse 4 says, 
But many heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This is one of the updates we get in the book of Acts. See, back in chapter 2, we see this big boom at Pentecost, and 3,000 people come to know the gospel in one day. And as we go throughout the book of Acts, it tells us that more and more we're gathering with the apostles and with the people of God every single day. And here we get one of those update, updates. The church is still growing, and it's up to 5,000 people now. And so the Sadducees try to stop the rampant spread of the gospel and preserve their control by just throwing Peter and John in prison until the next day. And so they gather everyone together, and let's see what happens next, starting in verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Cephas and John, Alexander, and others of the high priestly family. And they had Peter and John brought before them, and they began to question them, by what power and by what name do you do this? They bring it before them and say, okay, Peter, John, we have all the power here. We have the authority. This is our job. What in the world makes you think that you could just waltz into the temple and start proclaiming the message of resurrection? You start talking about Jesus. That's not your job. That's our job. It's as if I was to just walk into like an Ivy League university and start teaching physics. I don't know how, how well you guys know me. I know zero things about physics. That's what they saw. What in the world makes you think that you could do this? By what name, on whose authority are you doing this? Because you have none. And Peter responds with this, verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked, asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the cornerstone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then salvation is found in no one else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. See, the Holy Spirit fills Peter here with a courage and boldness to preach the gospel to the very people that he was afraid of just a few months earlier. He comes and he proclaims to them that Jesus is the only one capable of restoring Israel, and it is in his name and by his authority that this man was healed and that we're preaching. And so what's so incredible about this is if you think back to the stories we can tell around Easter, we see Peter enter the temple again, and he's questioned about Jesus, and he denies him, and he denies him, and he denies him. He says, I don't even know him because he fears for his life. He knows that if I'm caught talking about Jesus, associating with Jesus, I'm going to be killed. And so Luke recounts this story, and here we see a complete 180-degree turn. See, we're lucky enough to have stories like the one in John chapter 21, where Jesus comes alongside Peter, and he restores him, and he says, okay, Peter, do you love me? And he recommissions Peter. But what we need to remember is the people who had just the book of Luke and just the book of Acts, they didn't have that. All they had was Peter denying Jesus, preaching the gospel, and now he's back in the temple with the exact people who he was afraid of before, and he's preaching to them the very same gospel that he was ashamed of months before. You see, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the restoration that Jesus brings and the redemption that he offers. I want this kind of life change and this kind of restoration in my life. Don't you? Think of those times where it just feels like I just feel like I let Jesus down. I just feel like I could have done more for him. I just feel like I fell a little bit short of the mark that I was supposed to meet. We see that in Peter. 
He falls way short. He's supposed to be the rock that, that Jesus uses to build up the church, and he cowers in fear and denies Jesus. But here, we see that God works in people just like that. God works in people who fall short and, and who mess up. And he works through the Holy Spirit just like he do, does in Peter. And so Peter says to the Sadducees, if you really want to know why we're here, it's because you killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. And it's in Jesus' name that this man is healed and that we're speaking to all of these people. And he quotes Psalm 118, verse 11 here. He says, Jesus is the stone that you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. We've seen this, I'm pretty sure we've seen it every single week since we started in the book of Acts. Peter looks at what's happening in front of him. And then he looks back at the Old Testament and says, this was about Jesus. This is being fulfilled now. And he says, you thought that, you know, you thought that you had control. You had your plan and you thought that's what's going to happen. But here, if you really look back at the Old Testament, this was always going to happen. Jesus is the plan. He's always been the plan. It was always about Jesus. You thought he was nothing. And it turns out he's everything. He's the foundation of everything that we're going to build. And so here we see the turn. We can understand the Sadducees. And sometimes we can even empathize with them. We can have that pull of, I just, I feel like Jesus is going to ruin the plan for my life. But when we look through the lens of Peter, we can see this. The message of Jesus doesn't ruin anything because it restores everything. The Sadducees really thought that Jesus was going to ruin everything that they had. They thought he was going to destroy the nation of Israel and everything. And so if you're here today and you feel that pull, God, I see you working, but I, like, I just want to hold, in, hold on to the last little bit of my plan. If you can hear the message of the gospel and go, yeah, I want to, but I fit in over here. And you're worried and you're really thinking, if, if I join in with, with Jesus, if I, if I join up to this thing, it's going to mess up everything I had. You really need to hear those words. The message of Jesus doesn't ruin anything. It restores everything. Is he going to change stuff? Is he going to change your plans? Is he going to shift the way that you thought you were going to go? Yeah, but it's better that way because it's for your good. I was here with the youth on Wednesday just this week and we were talking about what's it going to cost to follow Jesus? We were walking through the book of Mark and we were looking at the, at the verse that says, you know, you need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. We encouraged our youth to count the cost of following Jesus. And I told them what my dad used to always tell me. He said, following Jesus can cost you anything. There's no place of your life that he can't reach and that he can't ask you to give up. It can cost you anything. But following Jesus is worth everything. And then again in verse 12, he says, salvation is found in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the plan, and he always has been. Salvation, redemption, restoration comes through no one else, just Jesus. It doesn't come from the Sadducees, it doesn't come from the Pharisees, it doesn't come from the Romans, it doesn't come from financial freedom, or success at your job. It doesn't come from having a fantastic family that's in church every single week. It comes through Jesus. The plans we have, they might not change drastically, but they'll change. And it's not even that our plans are always the worst ideas. It's just that God's plan is so much better. You know, and I think back 
to that time where I'm 13 and I had this whole plan. I wanted to go to high school with my buddies. I'd known them since I was like two years old. I, like, I really wanted to go and grow up with them and stay with my youth group and stay where we were at. I don't think that would have been a bad idea. But the plan that God had for my life was so much better. When we moved out to Petrolia and I started going to high school there, I got connected with a brand new youth group, got connected with friends that have pushed me in my faith in ways I could never imagine. Made lasting friendships that even though I haven't been to high school in like five, six years, sorry. <laughs> Math is hard. I still, I still have those friends. We still push one another on to follow Jesus. The lessons he taught me, I wouldn't have learned anywhere else. And in going to this new, new youth group, new church, new school, the dominoes started to fall for me to end up at Heritage. And if I wasn't at Heritage, I probably wouldn't be here. I probably wouldn't have met my wife, which I'm not really willing to say would have been a good thing. I really like her. <laughs> and so God's plan for my life was so much better than I could have ever imagined. The message of Jesus, it doesn't ruin anything. It restores everything. And so the Sadducees are so taken back by Peter and John's courage. So let's read again just the next, next couple of verses. They saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The Sadducees, are, they're, like, they're just dumbfounded here. These people are flipping the world upside down, and they're regular people. Remember, they're fishermen. So this verse is here just to prove how amazing the power of Jesus is because Peter and John were just ordinary men. The Sadducees weren't wrong. They're regular people like you and me. And yet they're doing amazing, extraordinary things. And even the people opposing them could tell that they had been with Jesus. It was, it was undeniable. I want that kind of change in my life. I want that kind of power through the Holy Spirit that says, okay, it's undeniable that this guy has been with Jesus, that he follow after, follows after God. There's a guy who went to my high school. He's a few years younger than me. I was only in high school with him for, for one year, so I didn't know him very well. But, you know, Petrolia is a small town. You, you always hear about people. And so over the years, as I started to go away to college, did my victory lap, all that stuff, I would hear stories of this, of this guy. And very quickly in high school, he got mixed in with the wrong crowds. He had never been in, in church too much growing up. And so very quickly he fell in to the lifestyle of, of partying and drinking and, and drugs and all of that. And it got so bad is that his home life got so bad that he ended up homeless for a few months at a time. And, and I didn't really hear much about him. I didn't really interact much with him. I didn't even know how to contact him if I wanted to. But then, but a year and a half ago, I walked into this young adults group back in Petrolia. And there he is. And then I went back to a church service there a little bit later, and there he was getting baptized. And then week after week at this young adults group, I saw him invite more and more people out to hear the gospel and interact with the church. I saw him be on fire to learn and love and know God more. And it would, it, like, I hadn't talked to him like in years. I actually don't know if I'd ever talked to him. I didn't know his story. I didn't know where he had come from, but it was undeniable. This guy had been with Jesus. And that, that's the kind of change I want. Do you want that kind of change? That kind of life where people say, this guy's been with Jesus, and, and I don't know the details, but I know that's true, because I know I do. So we look again at verse 14. But since they could see the man who had been healed was standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, we must warn them to speak, to no, speak no longer to anyone in this name. Even again, the Sadducees, they see the undeniable work of Christ and they still pull back. They still want to keep control of what they have. And they say, okay, we can't say that this didn't happen. Everyone saw it happen, but we can stop what they're doing and tell them not to do it anymore. They can't deny the reality of what was happening. This dude had been sitting at the temple gate for 40 years, couldn't walk, legs didn't work, and here he is jumping and praising God in front of everybody. You can't deny that, but at least we can stop this message of Jesus to try and hold on to what we have left. Verse 18, so they called them again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. So they call Peter and John back. They tell them to stop. They say, okay, we're not going to do anything about this because it already happened, but you, you can't do this anymore. And Peter looks back at them and says, you still don't get it. I'm not here to try and tear down your plan for your life. I'm not here to start a political movement to try and take power in Jerusalem. I am here to tell people about the Savior that changed my life, and I cannot, I will not stop talking about that. And again, to read again, he says, which is right in God's eyes, listen to you or to listen to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard in Jesus when you and I finally let go of that control that we crave, when we finally join in in the work that Jesus is doing, we will see him do amazing things. And when we do, we cannot stop talking about it. I was meeting with one of the people in our congregation just over a week ago. And I'm still relatively new to Bethel. I've only been here just over a year. But we were talking about what a blessing it it has been to be a part of this church family the people here, and the amazing things that God's been doing through our church, like the church plant, like Awana, like our students' ministry, like, like I can't remember the number, there's, there's almost 100 people downstairs that rotate through each week to make sure that your kids hear about Jesus and that they get to learn the stories of the Bible, the amazing things that God is doing. But we also remarked how amazing it is to hear the stories of how God works in our individual lives. It happens over and over and over again where you're chatting with someone and and you just hear the ways that God shows up for them that you never could have expected otherwise. And so when we see the work of Jesus, when we join in on that and we see what God is doing, we can't not talk about that no matter what anyone says. We have no choice but to tell people the works that God is doing in us and through us. And so finally, the priests are just at their wit's end with Peter and John, and then they let them go. In verse 21, after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. There's nothing they could do because the work of God was so undeniable in their midst. And so they let them go. We can't, we can't stand against this. We can see it happen. I'm not going to sit here and deny it. Like, I guess, I guess we lost. If you want one more reason 
to trust in the plan and the work of God? Here it is. In Luke 21, 14 and 15, Jesus says this, Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves, for I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to contradict. You see, before Jesus had gone to Jerusalem, before he had suffered, before he had died, before he rose again, before he commissioned the church, before Pentecost, before any of it, Jesus says this, don't worry about beforehand how you're going to defend yourselves. I'm going to give you words. I'm going to give you wisdom. And nothing's going to be able to stand against that. And then we see this exact thing happen. The power of Jesus is so undeniable and, and moves so powerfully in them through the Holy Spirit that they don't have to sit and prepare a presentation about why they did what they did. They didn't have to go find a really good lawyer to try and defend them. They followed the Spirit's leading because the power of God was so prevalent in their lives. It was so undeniable in what they were doing. And so following Jesus is going to change your plans, yeah. But it's not going to ruin them. Because the message of Jesus, it doesn't ruin anything. It restores everything. And so what do we do with this? What are you and I supposed to do with our text today? Here's the poll. Are you going to submit to Jesus and watch him work? Are we willing to let go of the plan and trust in the message of the gospel? Are we willing to put aside our plans for his purposes? We have the same choice that these men had. We can hear the message of the gospel, we can see the work that God is doing, and we can let go and say, I want what this is. I want to join in. Like Peter and the apostles in the church, we can, we can follow those words, repent and be baptized and live for him. Or, we can be like the Sadducees. We can be like the people who resisted. That's, it's very possible. Like We see it all the time. Am I going to join in? Or am I going to resist? And it's not every time that when we resist, it's because we're upset or because we, we struggle with this pride. I, I know tons of people who have different reasons for not joining in on the gospel. Like, why am I, why am I resisting the call of the gospel? Uh, am I afraid? Well, that's okay because, because Jesus says that he's our, he's our good shepherd and he's gonna comfort us. Am I too tired? Like, I, I, God, I'm working so hard over here. Like, I'm trying to keep my family in church. I'm trying to keep my job in line. I'm trying to make sure that, you know, I can provide for the people I need to provide for. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm too tired. I don't have anybody to give. Well, that's okay. Because Jesus says that when we come to him, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he gives rest for the weary. Am I, am I just too broke? Am I just too far gone? Like, God, I see you working. I want to get in there, but like, that's not for me. Like, Look at the place that my life is at. I got so much, I got so much further to go to get there than everybody else. Like, I'm just too far gone. There's nothing that Jesus can't restore. And, you know, we might be like the Sadducees and just say, I'm, I'm just unwilling, I just don't, I just don't want him. Like, I have no desire to do that. Well, the unfortunate reality is he's undeniable. Je Jesus will restore. He will rule and reign. And so I want to invite you this morning to lean on the cornerstone of Jesus. 
to lay down the plans, preconceived ideas that we have, and come to him with open hands. And I don't want to just extend this invitation. I want to call us to respond because like, we can't do nothing when we hear the message of the gospel. Because Jesus, he calls us. He calls us to a response, to repent and be baptized. His power is undeniable. His rule is restoration. It's, it's inevitable. But his grace and his forgiveness is limitless. And so he calls all of us to come to him. And so whether it's for the very first time that we come to Jesus and say, okay, this is what I have. I need to repent of it. I need to, I need to lay it down and I need to follow after you. Whether it's the very first time that you're doing that or whether it's letting go of that last piece we were holding onto, I want to call us to respond, to give it to Jesus, to come to him with open hands and to lean on the cornerstone, to watch him work, watch him work through you and watch him work in you. Sometimes it means laying down your plan to serve Jesus. Like, okay, I like, but okay, I'm going to do this, but I want to serve here. Sometimes it means coming with open hands to say, okay, God, how would you have me serve your people? We had a team for our church plant called the SWAT team, Servants Willing and Temporary. I thought it was awesome because SWAT is cool. And they went out and they gave up a year, separated from their church family, separated from the church that they had called home, and they were going to be there to serve this new church plant in, in, in major ways. We had somebody uh, helping out with their administration, doing all of their registrations on Sunday, making sure all the kids were, were accounted for and, and keeping track of their numbers. We had somebody who came and they headed up the service team. They set up week in and week out. They were making sure and then they let it go and they came back. And we're so grateful for them. And so is it something like that? If you weren't here at a membership meeting last week, we heard that in the next year and a half, we're hoping to plant another church. We're going to need servants that are willing to go out and say, okay, I'm, it's hard, but I'm going to leave my church family and I'm going to support this new church plant for a little bit. It doesn't mean that, okay, I'm not comfortable with it, but maybe I'll miss being in the service once every few weeks to come and, come and serve with our kids to make sure that our kids know the stories, the work, the power of Jesus. doesn't mean that, okay, I'm going to have to get up 30 minutes earlier, but I'll come here and I'll be a smiling, happy face and I'll greet people when they come into church. I don't know what it looks like for you, but like, what does it look like to lean in to the power of Jesus, to come with open hands? Does it mean something like that? Or does it mean something way more drastic? God, this is the plan I had for my life. This is the plan I had for my family. But if you're planning something better, I'm willing to do it. My dad was 36 when he went back to school to become a pastor. Mom, is that right? 36? Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that when I'm 35. I don't want to let go of what I've built with my career and with my family. Does it look like something like that? What does it mean for us to lay down everything at the feet of Jesus and say, I have open hands? I want your plan for my life. I don't want mine. If they line up, great. If they don't, I'm willing. You see, one of the ways that we ourselves as a church remind each other of our need to come before Jesus and lay everything down in front of him is coming together and remembering him in the act of communion. You see, in Luke, uh, in Luke 22, Jesus says this. He took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, 
which is given for you in remembrance of me. And he says, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus gives a staple of what it means to rely on him in communion. Because he says this, like, this is how you're going to remind yourselves of the work that I'm doing until I come back. Because you see, when Jesus died on the cross for my sin, and when he paid my penalty, and when he paid yours, he declared his ultimate victory over sin, Satan, and death, yes, but he also began his rule and his reign over the world. He began to restore all of creation to himself. And he gives us this picture to remind ourselves. So as we come before the communion table today, we have an opportunity, as Paul says, to declare his death, resurrection, and reign. And it isn't something we can take lightly. So I'm going to invite Samantha back up to the, to the piano and I'm going to invite the service team to step forward for communion. And as they're doing that, I want each of us to really come and wrestle through this question. Do I trust that Jesus really will restore everything and not destroy it? Am I really willing to come to him with open hands and say, I want what you have for me, not what I thought? Am I ready to respond to Jesus in repentance and faith and obedience? So as the music plays, I want you to just take your time. Don't rush up here. Samantha's a great piano player. She can loop as long as we need, but not too long. Like, two o'clock is a little late. But as the music plays, would you take your time? Examine your heart. Examine yourself. Surrender to the Lord, whether for the first time or the thousandth time. And only when you are ready would you come and share in communion this morning.